John chapter 8, verse 31 through 59. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We are descendants of Abraham, they answered him, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say you will become free? Jesus responded, I assure you, anyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. A slave does not remain in the household forever, but a son does remain forever. Therefore, if the son sets you free, you really will be free. I know you are descendants of Abraham, but you are trying to kill me because my word is not welcome among you. I speak what I have seen in the presence of the Father. Therefore, you do what you have heard from your father. Our father is Abraham, they replied. If you were Abraham's children, Jesus told them, you would do what Abraham did. But now you are trying to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You're doing what your father does. We weren't born of sexual immorality, they said. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me because I came from God, and I am here. For I didn't come on my own, but he sent me. Why don't you understand what I say? Because you cannot listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil." And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has not stood in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of liars. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Who among you can convict me of sin? I tell you the truth. Why don't you believe me? The one who is from God listens to God's words. This is why you don't listen, because you are not from God. The Jews responded to him, Aren't we right in saying you're a Samaritan and have a demon? I do not have a demon, but I know him. If I were to say I don't know him, I would be a liar like you, but I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham was overjoyed that he would see my day. He saw it and rejoiced. The Jews replied, you aren't 50 years old yet, and you've seen Abraham. Jesus said to them, I assure you, before Abraham was, I am. At that, they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus was hidden and went out of the temple complex. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. Before we consider this uh, passage that uh, our brother has read to us this morning, we're just going to ask for the Lord's help. God our Father, we were born into this world blind and deaf, and at enmity with you. 
And unless by your spirit you open our eyes so that we may see you, unless you open up our ears so that we might hear, and unless by your spirit you grant us repentance, we remain in the dark. And so this morning, before we consider this passage before us, we acknowledge to you our dependence upon your Holy Spirit, that your Spirit would speak, that what we hear from, what we would realize from your Word is the Word of God, and that it would have be made good to our hearts by your Spirit. For we ask it, our Father, for the glory of and in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, we're turning, returning to our study in uh, John's Gospel, and we find ourselves in a section of John, uh, the, the sort of the middle section of John, which sort of takes us from chapter 5 to chapter 12. And in that section of John, uh, we find that Jesus is revealing himself to the crowds, In the first section, 1 to 4, we really see him more working with individuals. And then from 13 to the end, we see him withdraw from the crowds and focus in on his disciples. But in this section of scripture, we see the Lord Jesus focusing uh, in on the crowds and revealing himself to the crowds. And what we get in these chapters is really a series of debates. And those debates center around who is Jesus... And where did he come from? And through these debates, John the Evangelist provides us with rich insight into who Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is and his relationship to his Father. And in doing this, it fulfills one of the key objectives of John's Gospel, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. But these debates are also a sad fulfillment of what we have in chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. And you could ask yourself... At this stage in our study of John's gospel, why was it that they did not receive him? When he's gone to such lengths to reveal himself clearly to them, why did these crowds not receive him? Whether they were crowds in Galilee or whether they were crowds in Jerusalem. And the answer is that each of these audiences were afflicted by a certain blindness that came from different, for different reasons. In chapter 5, they were blinded by the glory that comes from one another. And in chapter 6, they were blinded by their temporal desires. They prioritized their temporal desires above their eternal needs. And in chapter 7, they were blinded by faulty judgment, influenced by appearances and public opinion. But now here in chapter 8, they are blinded by their pride of position. 
the pride of position. But there's something that is particularly alarming about chapter 8, something particularly about this audience and their rejection of Jesus, and it is this. It's that they were described as those who had believed him. They're described as those who had believed him. They were not pagans. They were not atheists. They were not even the self-righteous Pharisees. No, they described. They are described as those who had believed him. And the reason that that's alarming is that because by the end of this chapter, they have picked up stones to stone him. Now, that should alert us to the fact that there is a difference between belief and saving faith. And I want to say right at the outset of this sermon, I want to ask you, do you believe in God this morning? You say, well, yes, good. But don't think that that saves you. In James 2.19, it says, you believe there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. You say, well, I believe in Jesus Christ. Well, is that the Jesus of the Bible? Or is that one that you have created to accommodate the lifestyle that you have chosen? So Jesus, in this passage, addresses himself to those who professed a certain belief in him, but did not possess saving faith. And I am sure that as he addresses them, it is with deep longing in his heart that they would fully embrace him as the Son of God, and find forgiveness for their sins and freedom from their slavery. And so in that first verse that we read, verse 31, he says, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But rather than receiving this gracious offer of freedom, they are frankly offended by it. And so they say in verse 33... We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say we will become free? Now, what they were saying was, as offspring of Abraham, Abraham, his privileges are conferred upon us forever. We are the heirs of the promises that were made to the household of Abraham. We are spiritually free as members of Abraham's household. That was not lost on them, that they were currently under um, the domination of the Romans. And I'm sure they had not forgotten that their ancestors had been in slavery in Egypt. That's not what they were contending. They were contending that they were spiritually free as children of Abraham. But Jesus points out to them that their sin regardless of their heritage, regardless of the fact that they were offspring of Abraham, their sin makes them slaves. And slaves do not remain in the house, but the son remains forever. True children of faith are the heirs, but slaves to sin are not. But then he gives them a wonderful hope. He says, if the son shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. They did not need to be slaves to sin. He, the Son of God, could set them free. Not just free, but free indeed. Not superficially free to do what they wanted. Not just politically free to live without harassment from the Romans. 
but free to obey the will of God and to live out what it is to be an image bearer of God. He, the Son, could give them that freedom. What a gracious offer to break the bonds of sin, to be free indeed. How Jesus wanted this for them, but sadly, that offer was never accepted, at least not that we read of here. And the question is, and the question that I want us to consider in this sermon today is why? That's the question I want us to consider. Why was this offer of freedom never accepted? And I think that there are three reasons. Because they were blind to their condition, verses 31 to 41. They were deaf to his word, verses 42 to 47. And they were at war with the God they claimed to serve, verses 48 to 59. Blind to their condition, deaf to his word, unwittingly at war with the God they claimed to serve. And as we consider this, I want that we would not simply look at them and say, oh yes, cluck our tongues. So they were. But I want us to see, I want the Spirit of God to reveal to us whether some of these elements of blindness and deafness and being at enmity towards God may be there in our own hearts and that we would be set free from them. So let's start with our first point. They were blind to their condition. And let's read again that first verse that Jesus spoke to those who had believed in him. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. A true disciple, then, is not one who says he believes, but one who abides or continues or remains in his word. If I say to you, I believe in Jesus, yet I have no appetite for his word, no concern for obeying it. If, I'm a, if I find myself irritated and resistant every time the word of God is open, then that is a sign that there is something seriously wrong with my profession. On the other hand, if you love the word of God, if you seek to live in obedience to it, if when the word is open, there is within you a teachable, responsive spirit, And if when you have obeyed the word of God, you're quick to repent, that is strong evidence of saving faith. And this will result in an increasing freedom in your life. For that is what the truth does. It sets us free. But there is, as we have said, a a, a distinct difference between being free and being free indeed. And I want to illustrate that for us this morning. Most of us that have grown up in this country, have known all our lives what it is to be free. To be free in the sense of having the mobility to travel wherever we want, the freedom to speak, the freedom to meet with friends and family and to worship at church without harassment. But of late, we've seen those freedoms steadily eroded. And we chafe under that removal of our freedoms. And frankly, we're bewildered that so many are willing to give up those hard-won freedoms without a fight. But as important as those freedoms are, 
they do not make us free indeed. Those liberties do not break the chains of sin. And what should really make us wonder is that some of the, why some of the people who fight so vehemently for these freedoms are very, have very little concern about being free indeed, free from the chains of sin. And I don't want to be understood. We should care very much when our freedoms under the Charter of Rights and Freedoms are removed. But how can we fight so passionately for these and have so little concern for the freedom that comes through the gospel? How is it that so many can go, can go on without a single concern for the sin that enslaves them and that will drag them down to an eternity separated from God where there is weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth? Well, I think we find the answer to that in these so-called believers. They were unresponsive to Jesus' offer to make them free because they were blind to their condition as slaves. They didn't think they needed to be free. They thought they were free already. They were blinded by their pride of position. And so in verse 33, they say, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? I think perhaps the greatest thing that keeps people from accepting the freedom that Jesus offers is that they do not realize at all that they are in slavery. How can you say I am, I am enslaved when I am acting out of my own free will? Now, as Calvinists, we don't deny free will. We don't deny that people have free will and act out of their free will. We simply contend that they exercise their free will according to their desires. And the problem with that is that those desires were hijacked by Satan at the fall. When our first parents chose to serve Satan, they plunged the whole human race into slavery to Satan so that our desires are to do the will of the devil, the works of the devil. So we make choices from our free will, but that free will has been so totally polluted that apart from our work of regeneration, By the Holy Spirit, we will always choose against God. This is what we sometimes refer to, and we've said this before, as the doctrine of total depravity. So the point is that the exercise of our free will, that just because we're exercising our free will, does not mean that we are free. Look, um, there are people all around us today that are embracing a culture of death. Killing the unborn and the elderly destroying marriages and family, imprisoning pastors and barricading churches, and they think they are exercising their free will, but they are not. They are carrying out the dictates of their master, the devil, who is ushering them down the road that leads to destruction. They imagine that they are acting in freedom, but true freedom is freedom, as we've said, freedom to do the will of God and to live out what it means to be created in the image of God. And you know, brothers and sisters, there's a bit of a danger in thinking that all that blindness is out there and that there's none of it in here. There can be a blindness in here as well. Sin is enslaving and sin is blinding. And I don't doubt that there are some here this morning who are enslaved 
to sin. And my warning and my my pleading to you this morning is don't be like these people who refuse to acknowledge their slavery to sin because of their pride of position. If the Spirit of God is convicting you this morning, then I urge you to come immediately in repentance, lest you become not only enslaved but blinded as well. Unable to recognize your condition and unable to seek deliverance in the Son who alone can make you free indeed. You know, a very serious thing happens when we refuse to listen to the Spirit of God speaking through the Word of God. A very serious thing happens. You know what it is? We lose the ability to hear. And that takes us to our second point. The second reason why the Lord's gracious offer of freedom was never accepted. They were deaf to his word. So in verse 43, Jesus says, Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. And then in verse 45, Because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Now remember that these are the people who are described as having believed in him. They were not atheists. They were not pagans. They saw themselves as believers, respectable people who were children of Abraham. But they were not only blind, but they were deaf. They were deaf to the truth. It had no place with them. They hated it, and they wanted to kill the very one that proclaimed it, who himself is truth. Most of us here have encountered people, and is is particularly grievous, when it is our own family members who seem to be completely impervious to the gospel. You plead with them over the condition of their souls. You warn them of coming judgment. You bring before them time and time again the message of the gospel, but it is almost as though they simply can't hear. It's as though they are completely deaf. And sometimes we think, well, that is an attitude. But you know, I think sometimes... It's a judgment. Because in Proverbs 29, it says this, He who is often reproved, yet stiffens his neck, will suddenly be broken beyond healing. I can't think of two more tragic words than that. Beyond healing. And so Hebrews 3.15 says, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the day of rebellion, as in the rebellion. It's a fatal mistake, brothers and sisters, and those of you that are not brothers and sisters, it's a fatal mistake to think that you can go your whole life turning a deaf ear to the Lord and then think that suddenly one day when you want to, you can listen to him and obey. For if the Spirit of God no longer works in you, then you will lose your ability to hear and respond to God very sobering, beyond healing. So turning a deaf ear to the word of God eventually leaves you unable 
to hear. And this is what had happened to these people. They could not understand what he said or bear his word. Verse 43. When they heard the truth, they could not believe it. Verse 45 and 46. They would not hear the word of God because they were not of God. Verse 47. And you know, I'm afraid that that is the condition of many people that sit in churches today. They are deaf to the word, and to them it is of no meaning or value. And some well-meaning preachers try to pander to those who cannot endure sound doctrine by taking the offense away from the gospel. Now, it's well that we should seek to make the gospel simple and accessible, but the moment that you remove the offense of the cross, the moment you try to play down the issue of sin and the need for repentance... The moment you are afraid to speak boldly about man's true condition before God, the moment you shy away from speaking of the holiness of God and the wrath of God against sin, and that 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 wrath had to fall on the head of Christ, be careful lest you become guilty of preaching another gospel. Unless you turn souls away from true repentance and lull them into a complacency with false hopes of salvation. True believers listen to the word of God. Listen, if the spirit of God is working in someone, then you do not need to worry about turning them away through sound doctrine. And if the spirit of God is not working in a soul, it doesn't matter what you do, how great your anecdotes are, how funny your sermon is, how many great stories you can tell. If the spirit of God is not at work, then there is nothing that you can do. So let's be faithful. Let's be faithful to the word. let me say something to all of us who hear the word, myself included. Is there some part of scripture that I cannot endure? Some part of scripture that you cannot endure? We need to be very careful because a refusal to respond to any part of God's word leads to the inability to receive it and to grow. God does not reveal his will to those who simply want to know it. God reveals his will to those who are committed to doing it. That's why we have in John 7 and 17, as we had the other week, if anyone wills, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know. God does not reveal his truth to us so that we can decide whether or not we want to obey it. No, God reveals his truth to us because we are already obeying what he has revealed to us, and so he reveals to us more. God reveals his word to us when he knows that we will act upon it. And if you or I find ourselves constantly rejecting and and challenging what we are hearing every time the word is open, then we need to ask ourselves, do you really love the word at all? What is the source of your rejection? Is God truly your father? Or is your father the father of lies? And therefore you hate the truth. Well, we've talked about two reasons that the Lord's offer of freedom was refused. They were blind to their condition, and they were deaf to his word. Let's talk about our third, the third reason and our last point. They were at war with the God they claimed to serve. 
in verse 48, they are so incensed by Jesus' words that they resort to attacking him personally. They call him a Samaritan and say that he had a demon. And it was a terrible insult to call a Jew a Samaritan, and they knew it wasn't true. And Jesus lets the personal insult go. He doesn't respond to it. But he will not let go what is an affront to the Trinity. You see, everything he did, he did at the bidding of the Father and in the power of the Holy Spirit. So to attribute that to a demon was a blasphemy against the Father and the Spirit. So Jesus says, I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Just on a sidebar, on a side note, I could wish that I responded this way. I could wish that we all responded this way. That we had the wisdom and grace to let the personal insult go and let, and let God be the judge of our character, but to be quick to defend the glory of God. How often it is the opposite with us when we hear blasphemy against the Lord Jesus Christ and we let that slide, but then when we are attacked personally, we are all over it, defending ourselves. Let's be content. Can we be content to be misunderstood? Knowing that God sees everything and judges righteously. When we are maligned and spoken evil of or falsely accused or misjudged, is it not enough to know that God judges righteously and he will vindicate in his time? But our Lord, in the face of these insults, again makes this glorious offer to those who insult him. Verse 51, Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. But they resent this. They knew that Abraham and the prophets had died. And so they challenge him. Who do you make yourself out to be? And there's two things that Jesus says there that reveal a great irony. Look at verse 49. I honor my father and you dishonor me. And then look at verse 54. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. The Father's greatest priority is to honor the Son. But since this conversation has started, they have done nothing but dishonor him, and now they are blaspheming him. And yet they are claiming that God is their Father. In dishonoring the Son and saying that he had a demon, they also blaspheme the Father and the Holy Spirit. And this was a dangerous thing when you consider that they could never know the Son unless the Father revealed him, and they could never receive him unless the Spirit of God awakened them to their need. And, most importantly, in dishonoring the Son, they put themselves in direct opposition to the Father, whose purpose is to honor the Son. Now, I am not saying that God in his grace does not reach out and change the hearts of those who oppose him and even change the hearts of blasphemers. He does. But I want to say to us, brothers and sisters, that blaspheming is a dangerous business. It's a dangerous business. In Jude 10 and 11, we read this. 
But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand. And they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. Let's handle the word of God and the glory of Christ and the name of Christ with great reverence, brothers and sisters. Blasphemy brings us into greater darkness, for in it we war against the only one who can bring us light. One of the the evidences of a true believer is that they honor the Son, and one of the marks of an unbeliever is that they dishonor and blaspheme God. They were not children of God, for they worked against the singular motive of God, and they did not know him for they claimed for, for who they claimed was their father. And one day, many who thought they knew the Lord Jesus will hear him say, Depart from me. I never knew you. So the Lord Jesus, in verse 56, rebukes them by comparing their behaviors to Abraham, the one who they called their father. And he says, Your father, Abraham, rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. But they misunderstand. And they retort, you are not 50 years old. Scripture here that 50 is not that old, by the way. You are not 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus did not say before Abraham was, I was. That was true, of course. Because in John 1, we have... In the beginning was the Word. He existed from a past eternity, so he certainly did exist before Abraham did. But instead, Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. And you'll recall, of course, when God sent Moses to go and deliver his people, Moses had said, what, what if they ask me what your name is? What shall I say to them? God says, said to Moses, I am who I am. Say to the people of Israel, I am has sent you, has sent me to you. This title was the very name of God. And the Lord Jesus applied it to himself in chapter 6 when he said, I am the bread of life. And in verse 12 of our chapter when he said, I am the light of the world. But now he applies it again with great force in response to his relationship to Abraham. Before Abraham was, I am. Well, his meaning was not lost on them. They knew full well what he was claiming, that he was the eternal Son of God. So how did they respond? Did they fall on their faces in worship? No, they picked up stones to stone him. These are those, these are those of whom it is said they had believed in him. Let me say in closing this morning, my concern is not whether or not you say you believe My concern is whether you are abiding in the word. Whether you are blind or whether you see. Whether you are deaf or whether you hear. Whether you honor the son or whether you dishonor him. I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again. There will come a time that the only thing that will matter for all eternity is what you have done 
with the Lord Jesus Christ. And if today he is calling you, if today he is convicting you of sin, of righteousness and judgment to come, if today he is drawing you to himself, then do not resist, lest blindness fall upon you, unless you hear his voice no more. And for those of us who know and love him, let me impress upon you the urgency this morning of abiding in his word. Everything that can be shaken is being shaken, but his word will endure. For Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And so I charge you, brothers and sisters, cling to the word. Feed on it night and day. And you will know assurance. You will have the assurance that you are his disciples. And you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. For if the Son will set you free, you will be free indeed. You know, I passed over verse 57 quickly. And I did that purposely because I want to share with you a thought. I'm not dogmatic about this thought, but I want to share with you a thought about that verse before we come to the Lord's table. In that verse we read, Abraham rejoiced. The Lord says, Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Well, when was that? When was that? You know, I, I just I, I want to put this out for your consideration. When Abraham was taking his son Isaac up that mountain, Mount Moriah, to carry out this unthinkable task of offering him as a burnt offering, and Abraham is going along with his son, and Isaac is carrying the wood, completely oblivious to what's going on, I believe. And he asks this innocent question. He says, Father, behold the fire and the wood, they had done sacrifices before, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham responded, and I have no doubt that it was a deep emotion. God will provide himself a lamb. And at that desperate moment, he longed to see the provision of a sacrifice that would spare his son that would be a substitute for his son. And he did. For when he had bound Isaac and put him on that altar, that voice came from heaven and saying, don't touch him, don't hurt him. Now I know that you believe in me. You put me above your son. And Abraham looks and he sees a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. And that ram, I believe, is a picture of Christ. The ram was held fast by its horns, a symbol of its strength, and so became the substitute for Isaac. And Jesus was held fast to the cross, not by those nails, but by the strength of his love for the true children of Abraham, the children of faith. And while the Lord Jesus from the cross could have summoned 10,000 legions of angels to destroy the world and to set him free, he did not. Why? You know why? Because he looked back through the centuries and he saw Abraham and he saw Isaac. And he looked down through the centuries and he saw you and he saw me. 
and he couldn't bear to be without us for all eternity, and so he paid the price. He gave his body, and he shed his blood. Abraham rejoiced to see his day. He rejoiced when he saw the ram caught in the thicket, the substitute for his son Isaac, and he rejoiced to look forward to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so, brothers and sisters, will you rejoice with him this morning as you look back on what he looked forward to? Then come together. Come together as brothers and sisters. Come around this table and partake of these emblems of his body and of his blood and be reminded that we are his and he is ours and we are brothers and sisters in Christ. So let's come to the Lord's table.